We'll go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be looking at the genealogy in, in Matthew, um, which may be a, a strange place to you. It may, may seem a little awkward to go there first, but but it is, I think is of vital, vital importance to our understanding of the, the birth narrative as we move into the Advent season, as we move into these first four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and Christmas, Christmas happens to be on a Sunday this week, so we get some extra days in Advent this year, um, which is a blessing. Uh, I hope that it's a time that you and your family can sit down and reflect on the good news of Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross. Um, and so as we together as a people want to look at uh, Matthew chapter 1 and the, the genealogy here, I think it's important for us to recognize that we as a people oftentimes are longing for something new, a new beginning. Um, we as people, I think, look for new beginnings in our lives regularly, especially in a world as, uh, I think probably in America in 2016, in North Dakota, in Jamestown, North Dakota in 2016, we're, we're largely a consumer culture that, that likes to chew up um, what's put in front of us and sometimes discard it relatively quickly. But for us, so then, as a people, we're looking for starting over. We're looking for new beginnings in our world regularly. And so when we get to Matthew chapter 1, we see, we begin to see that those new beginnings, those new beginnings that we have are actually just a shadow of the new beginning that, that is demonstrated to us as we look at this genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. So this, as, as a text... Is, is something profoundly important for us, although sometimes when we come to it, we look at it and we just see this crazy list of names, and I'm actually going to attempt to read these, and I hope that you'll demonstrate grace to me, um, because I'm not a native Hebrew speaker, and most of these are Hebrew names, um, and a little crazy, um, and uh, yeah, so please show, show me grace as I read through these, but so, so when we're in the first the first week of Advent, today is the first day of Advent, turning our attention to this birth narrative um, seems only right, and we're going to spend our time together in chapter 1 primarily, and then a little bit in chapter 2 even as we move towards Christmas. So, uh, first then, let's read this together. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. Um, again, this is incredibly intimidating, but I'm going to do it anyways. Your grace is appreciated. Here we go. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King. David the king. Okay, so that was okay. The rest might get a little sticky. Here we go. And David, the father of Solomon, by the wife, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Okay. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah, the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abuad, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, 
And Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathen, and Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, whose husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. And so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Okay, good. We did it. We did it, guys. Good morning. <laughs> so, here we are. Here we are. We come to this genealogy and we begin to think about what this looks like, right? We begin to see that this is a bit crazy that, that, uh, that Matthew begins to lay this out for us, but he thinks he wants to give us some very specific truths that sort of lay the foundation for the narrative of Jesus' life and what Jesus came to accomplish. So let's pray, and we're going to consider a big idea this morning, and then um, we're going to run through some ideas here. Lord God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that the Holy Spirit inspired every single one of these names in this list. Lord God, we don't reflect on that truth far enough. Lord God, you are communicating something very profound about who you are in your word to us this morning, and something very profound about who we are in light of who you are. Lord God, I pray that we can take the truths here, that we can mine the depths of this text, and that we can move out from here, living a life worthy of that which you've called us to in Christ Jesus. Lord God, our hearts and our minds burn to know the truth. God, we burn to understand our purpose and the will that you have for us. God, and we know, we know that your word clearly outlines that for us in Scripture. And we know that it is our purpose to bring you glory. So God, I pray that we would bring you glory now in this time as we consider this text. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay. So let me give you the big idea that this morning as we look at this, and I really think that verse 1 is going to guide our time together this morning. So we see three things stated here in verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. So this morning, the big idea coming out of this text in particular is that Matthew's genealogy, the genealogy that Matthew records here in 1 verses 1 through 17, um, proclaims Jesus' eternal kingship, although not fully realized it is now all-encompassing. Matthew's genealogy proclaims Jesus' eternal kingship, Although not fully realized, it is now all-encompassing. So as we look at this list of names, we kind of go back to sort of this thesis, this thesis statement that, that Matthew gives us at, in verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why are those names important and why should we consider those first? Okay, so we're going to kind of look at those in reverse order. We're going to go from Abraham to David, and then look at what it means that, that uh, Matthew records this genealogy of Jesus Christ. So very first then, the son of Abraham. Uh, Matthew says that very specifically, and he actually starts with Abraham. We know that when the world was created, Abraham was not the first man, so why does he start there? He starts there for a very specific purpose. First of all, Matthew wants to outline for us um, Jesus' royal lineage and sort of his claim to the throne. 
So if you look at this from a historical perspective, um, some of these names don't necessarily line up, and yet Matthew is doing something incredibly profound. When we look at verse 17 at the end of the passage that we just read, we see here that, that he outlines for us in this sort of symmetrical way, right? So all generations from Abraham to David were 14, and then from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. And then from the deportation of Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. So he's setting this up for us, and, and something, that, uh, something that we need to observe then in verse 17 is that David was, and I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit, but I think this is important as we start with Abraham, David was Israel's greatest king. And that was the place that Israel longed to go back to. They longed to go back to a time where David was king, where they were prominent politically, where they were prominent militaristically, and they wanted to go back to a place where um, they thought they had a big impact on the world. The, the, uh, the sort of irony of that is that uh, is that Abraham was promised that very thing uh, that would come from his line. We'll get there in a second. But if we look at David, actually David, if, if in, the, in, the, in the original language, David, there are no vowels in Hebrew. And so really you just have DVD, is the, uh, that would be the transliteration, that would be the, the name for, and that's not a cool disc that you put in, an outdated form of media. What it is, is David's name in the Hebrew. Just DVD is how you say it. You probably say something like Dawid or something along those lines. Um, and actually, in Hebrew, they would assign a number to each letter. And when those add up, we have the number 14, right? So David, so, we, so Matthew is setting this up and he's saying, what's the most important thing I want you to glean from this genealogy? It's that Jesus' lineage is royal. Now, that does not necessarily look the way that we think it should. That does not necessarily look the way that we think it should when we think of royalty, we think of prominence, we think of crowns, we think of kings, we think of rulers here on this earth. And Jesus is going to sort of discard that trend in an incredible sort of way, and we'll get to that as well. So, moving back then, when, when Matthew starts with Abraham, he is highlighting then the royal lineage of Jesus. So, when, when Matthew says in verse 1 that he is the son of Abraham, what does, that, what does that mean? It means this, that God promised Abraham that the whole world would be blessed through his line, blessed through his lineage. Previously, the blessing that, that God brought about to the world came through this bloodline, the shared bloodline that, that those had in Abraham. You say, Abraham is our father, was a common thing that you would hear in first century Palestine if you were a Jew. Abraham is our father. But he wants us to recall what God promised through Abraham by bringing Abraham up in verse 1. No longer would, uh, as we get then to the understanding of who Jesus is, he's going to shift this idea dramatically away from blood, but towards something else. No longer would common ancestry be the way that the nations were blessed. No longer um, would that be the primary way. But now Jesus is going to open up salvation to all people. And so when, he, when God promised to Abraham... Uh, in, in Genesis 17, 1 through 5, 
Uh, just listen to this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and you may multiply greatly. And Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but you, your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And that's a tricky thing for, for, for God to say to Abraham, and yet when we get to Jesus, right, we get to Jesus, we see then how that fulfillment is going to come about. Abraham would be the, the father of a multitude of nations because of what Jesus was going to do by opening up salvation to all kinds of people. All kinds of people would be blessed through the line of Abraham, through Jesus Christ. Previously, this blessing came through this bloodline and a family connection, but now that would be different. We start to see that as we move through the book of Matthew. And, and if you spend some significant time in the book of Matthew, you see that, that Jesus is sorry, tearing down some of these conventions. Tearing down some of these conventions that, that salvation is only for a particular group of people or a particular nation. If, if you go to Matthew chapter 12, verses 48 through 50, Jesus says this, or, or, or Matthew records Jesus saying this. He says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Jesus is saying this, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands toward the disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so when we read that, we think to ourselves, Wow, Jesus, that is really harsh. Like, that is really harsh. He's like shutting out his own biological family. But Jesus is communicating that it isn't bloodlines that brought you into God's family, but those who do the will of the Father. And how is it that the will of the Father is done? And we kind of have to go back all the way to the end of this book, all the way to the end of Matthew, um, in Matthew chapter 28 and the Great Commission, which we speak of often here, um, where Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Doesn't say anymore. This is limited to the Jewish people, but it is to all nations. To make disciples, then, is the will of the Father of all nations, is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. So there's a significant portion of good news, then, contained within the gospel. We don't reflect on this enough. So I don't know if you guys have seen this yet. Um, there's a show on Netflix, it's called The Crown, right? It's about Queen Elizabeth, I don't know if anybody, I, yeah, I'm into it. So there we go. I said it, full transparency, I enjoyed it a lot. But um, it's really about Queen Elizabeth's early days as queen. It's a little strange because she's still alive and it's just like, but um, what, what's great about it is that you really see sort of the underword, the underpinnings of what it means to be part of the royal family. And I don't know if it's true or not. I mean, I, I'm not part of that, so I have no idea. But here's a spoiler for you, and spoiler, so plug your ears. No, don't plug your ears. But, but, but listen to this. And you probably all, we all know this, right? Um, that not everyone gets an equal shot at being king or queen. Not everyone gets an equal shot at being king or queen. 
You don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's not like we have it here in America where, and where you run for president or run for elected office. You have to be part of a certain family. You have to be born in a certain order. And when we think about that, I think that we think to ourselves, okay, um, I think, um, especially for people in first century Palestine, Jewish Palestinians would have thought to themselves, okay, I am here right now, I was born into this, and therefore it belongs to us. But because of Jesus, there are no limits on who can be welcomed into the family of God. And that is one of the primary things that Matthew is communicating to us by writing us a genealogy, this, this sort of boring list of names. He's communicating, now there are no limits on who can be welcomed into the family of God. So what that boils down to for us in, in 2016, 21st century North Dakota, America, is this, that where you come from, it doesn't matter. Where you come from, it doesn't matter. And now we don't have like all these conventions or set up things or whatever, or socioeconomic class, whatever it might be. We don't think about those things a lot. But there is no leg up if you are a first century Palestinian Jew or a 21st century white American. With God, because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, there is no partiality. So this morning... If anyone's origins were in, this is the encouragement that comes out of this. If anyone's origins were in a broken family, if anyone's origins were in, with, had an absent dad or an abusive mother, or, or if anyone's origins were in an incestuous relationship, or if anyone's origins were in an unwanted pregnancy, the truth of Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 is always true. Jesus is the son of Abraham and fulfills the promise to Abraham that his people, his family, would, be, uh, would, would bring blessing to the nations. That means there is nothing from your past, whether something that you did or something that was imposed upon you, that could ever separate you from the inheritance of eternal life that you have in Christ Jesus. That's what it means that Jesus is the son of Abraham. Nothing, nothing, nothing from your past can separate you from what he bought on the cross. So that's the first part then this morning. Jesus, the son of Abraham, marking out his royal lineage for us. And then we see that royal lineage continued as, as Matthew says to us, he is the son of David. So Jesus then, as we look here at this text, see that Matthew is telling us that Jesus has come to establish his kingdom. He has come to establish a kingdom, much like David's kingdom was established because of the blessing of God. But this message is communicated in a strange way, and I think we don't think too much about the names on the list, but this is where they become important for us. This is where they become important for us. First of all, this would, this would be highly um, um, unorthodox to, to look at a list of names, to look at a genealogy, and to see five women on this list. Highly unorthodox for a, a Jewish genealogy to contain five women. Um, because this was a highly um, a, a, a man-driven culture, um, it was one that was that thought of women to be significantly lesser. You know, we don't necessarily deal with that as much in our culture, although it is still is an issue for us. 
But Matthew is saying that Jesus is coming from a line and in a way that is unorthodox. It's not the same as what you would anticipate the Messiah or the King to be coming from. So there are these five women. Or Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and then Mary. And, and when you look at that list, and if you know what these, who these people are, you're not looking at a holiness hall of fame. You're looking at, you're looking at a, a prostitute. You're looking at people who, can, uh, who, who committed some significant sin. And so when a Jewish reader read this and they thought to themselves, what, what, why would he include that name? Why would he not just put her husband there? Um, what, we're, what he's doing is, we'll, we'll get to it in a second here. But so there's this dysfunction of Jesus' lineage that is also very apparent. We have, even in that first thing, when, when, when Matthew says that Jesus is the son of David, we understand that he is a murderer and an adulterer. Again, not a holiness hall of fame here. Again, on this list, we have incest and prostitution and deception and adultery and murder. And this is, is it, and when we look at this, if we really begin to think about it, we think to ourselves, is this the lineage of royalty? Is this the guy who's going to come and deliver the world from its sin? At first glance, I don't think we would think so. And all of a sudden, the celebration of this genealogy of Jesus becomes a rebuke. Matthew is setting the stage for the reversal of conventions, the way that people thought. The way that people thought that the Messiah would come about. He is going to reverse those conventions um, for his readers very, very significantly here. So consider what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. This is in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And yet Matthew emphasizes David in the lineage of Jesus and this genealogy. And then we have to ask, ask the question, could this kingdom that's being, be, that is established, is this one a misunderstood one? Is this, a, is this a kingdom that might not look the exact way that we think a kingdom on earth should look like? The answer as we move further into Matthew's narrative is a resounding yes. It is profoundly misunderstood. This kingdom is profoundly misunderstood. Listen to this. A, a gentleman named Scotty Smith, he's a pastor in Tennessee, wrote this. If the genealogy of Jesus comes as a stinging rebuke to human pride, it can also come to us as a gentle solace to whatever we have experienced at hands of human devastation and dysfunction. The stories of, the stories of Matthew's five women are the stories of widowhood, second and third marriages, incest, prostitution, lying, murder, adultery, economic hardship, foreign exclusion, and geographic dislocation. He reminds us that there is nothing that can separate us from God's love. That there is nothing of life's bitterness that cannot be woven into God's providential redemptive history for me. My story is not over. There are more chapters to be written. 
And so when we, when we consider what it means that Jesus is the son of David, we consider similar to what we thought about with Abraham, is that there is nothing again in your past that can separate you from the love of Jesus. Now, we, don't, we probably don't put as much weight on our lineage or our bloodlines as, as people in first century Palestine again did. We might go into Ancestry.com or head to Ellis Island and, and check out the records because that's fun to do. Um, and yet, we come from a significant place where there's a significant amount of hurt in our lives. And when we're thinking about new beginnings, that brings us sort of to our last understanding this morning where Matthew writes at the very beginning of verse 1 in this passage, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So why does Matthew start with the genealogy? That's the, the question that needs to be asked as we look at this. Why does Matthew start with the genealogy? And the genealogy of Jesus is heralding this new beginning. If you look at, the, if you look at that word genealogy, you see also in it, contained within it, the word Genesis, the word origins, the understanding that this is a, a beginning. This is not an end, this is a beginning. There's a resolution to centuries of tension leading up to this redemption for the vilest of sinners. But when we look at this genealogy, we see the origins of a person, in this case, Jesus. But the beautiful truth that is contained here exists in this. This lineage points to Jesus' origins, and yet everything originated in him. points to Jesus' origins, and yet everything originated in him. This is a work of origination in and of itself. Paul argues for this later, and it, it, but we see this world, this broken, this broken world is broken by sin, and it needs to be, needs to have this new beginning. And we understand now, as Matthew, Matthew begins to write this, he had this understanding that, that, that this new beginning could only come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This world is broken by sin, this new beginning that's needed. Paul argues this in his letter to the Romans, that, that Jesus is the new Adam, the first man that, that was created and who walked in the presence of God and who knew God on an intimate level and yet at one point uh, put his own um, his own desires and needs above uh, that, above that intimacy that he had with God. He was the first man that we meet in the book of Genesis, the book of origins, and he was created to have this relationship with God, and this, this relationship was broken by sin. But Paul argues that Jesus is the second Adam. There is a new beginning that is found in him. He condescended into the world so that everyone might have relationship with God restored. He defeated sin and death through his work on the cross, his resurrection, and then his ascension. And he is ruling at the Father's right hand, waiting, uh, waiting for all of his purposes to be accomplished here on earth. And his kingdom is all-encompassing. It is for everyone. And he will return to make it all complete. So we begin the book of Matthew with this genealogy, with the understanding that this is a new beginning. And again, we as people, we long for new beginnings. We long for things to be different in our world. We long for things as things come and go. Doors open and they close. We walk through them and they close behind us. 
There's no going back. We, we long for new beginnings. Rarely as people are we content with where we're at in the moment. Rarely as people do we look at our current set of situations and say, man, when I get there, things will be better. Things will be better. But again, our timeline, the timeline of our life, is something that points dramatically to one new beginning that needed to happen in all of human history in order that we might stand in the presence of God. That the brokenness that we experience that came to us through Adam and that we participate in every single moment of every single day, that new beginning needed to come. So when we read in verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, we recognize that now there is a new origin and a new beginning, that we might be new creations. Um, the old has passed away now. If you are in Christ, this is truth for you today. So the implications then of this, or the implications of a list of names, a list of crazy names. The implications of this. Maybe you're here this morning, and your past weighs you down regularly, and haunts you. You think about it in a way um, that is not a, a proud one, not, not proud of where you came from, or the things that you've done, maybe things that have been done to you, or situations that you have been put in. You're not maybe necessarily happy with the direction that your life has taken. Those are things that are not, not outside of the human experience. We put on a face, we walk in, when we come here on a Sunday morning, we think to ourselves, man, things are, things are falling apart and being eroded behind the scenes, and we put a smile on my face. We, as a people, oftentimes are frustrated because we, we don't look a certain way, because we have massive insecurities, because we can't seem to catch a break in our world. As we enter into the Christmas season, some of those things become amplified because we're going to spend a little bit more time with family probably, and sometimes that's a difficult thing to do, right? Like, sometimes that that really begins to weigh on us. And it puts us in a tough spot. It doesn't seem like we're loved or cared for. Maybe you're reminded of the things that you don't have in this life, or ways that you wish things were different. And if we think about it, if we get real about it, our lives just simply aren't a Hallmark movie. They're just, there's no nice bow on the end, right? We don't, not, things don't wrap up nicely at the end and, and everything, everyone lives happily ever after. That's not the way life is. And the truths of the genealogy of Jesus then ring, ring for us, right? Here they are. If you're in Christ, you're woven into everything he came to accomplish. If you are Christ, you are if you are in Christ, you are woven into everything that he came to accomplish. There is nothing in your world that is not being redeemed and shaping you into the image of Jesus Christ. His purposes for you to bring him glory are being accomplished in you daily whether you feel like it or not. If you are in Christ, your past may hurt and hurt in an, in an intense way, in a way that's debilitating, that's crippling, that hurts you and keeps you from getting up in the morning, but it does not define you. You are a child of God and a co-heir with Jesus, 
That is your identity. When we look at the genealogy of Jesus and we see all of this, this hurt and this corruption and this human devastation and dysfunction, we can look at it and we can say, Jesus redeemed all of that. And in the same way that that happens, you can be redeemed and you can find your identity in something that's other than your past. And finally, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You're no longer broken by sin. You inhabit this this earthly body. I mean, there's this tension that exists, but um, you are restored to right relationship with God. Jesus came to earth. The genealogy of Jesus proclaims to us that Jesus came to earth to hit that reset button. He came to earth to hit that reset button so that you might have right relationship with God restored. So again, there's three truths that come out of the genealogy of Jesus. If you're a Christ, you're woven into everything that he came to accomplish. If you are in Christ, your past may hurt, but it does not define you. You're a child of God and a co-heir with Christ. That's your idea. You are in Christ. You are a new creation. You are no longer broken by sin. But Jesus came to hit the reset button in your lives. And so this morning as we consider then what it means to, to look through this list of names, I pray that you consider that, that, that whatever dysfunction, whatever thing that has, um, has weighed you down or hurt you in your past, that Jesus came to wipe that all away and there will be one day there will one be one day where we are not separate, but where he comes to, to make his kingdom here on earth complete. Where he wipes away every tear and every pain that you have felt will, will pale in comparison with the goodness of God and your in his, uh, his presence in, in your life. The sun and the moon, they won't shine anymore. We will bask in the glory of God together. So the Lord's table this morning is where, where we're going to culminate our time together. When we come to the table, we recognize that Jesus is King. He's the Lord over all. And there's a remembrance here that happens at the table. We remember we will proclaim Jesus' death until He returns. And when we proclaim His death, we are proclaiming what it means for us. It means new beginning. It means that we're a new creation. It means that nothing that happened in our past can, 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 can uh, separate us from the love of Jesus. And so as we move to the table, I'm going to pray for us in a second here. As we move to the table, I, I pray that you would consider those things. This new beginning that's proclaimed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as we move into the Christmas season, I pray that that would be also your focus. That your identity is wrapped up in who he is and what he has done, and not what has been done to you or in what you have done. And then moving forward from that, that we would go out from this place, that we would, we would be on mission, and, and to bookend his book, Matthew makes the proclamation, the, the, the imperative to, to us to go and to make disciples even like we spoke of last week. So this morning then as we move to the table, reflect on those things. Reflect on the goodness of God to you in Jesus. 
So I just invite for you when you're prepared, the worship team will come up, and when you're prepared, you can head over to the table, you can grab the elements, you can participate together at the table, or you can sit down and, and take them um, when your heart is prepared. Again, I say this, if there are kids in here, I would ask uh, parents to exercise discretion. This is something that's for followers of Jesus. Is if, you are, if you're here, if you're part of the Buffalo City Church family, um, and you follow Jesus, or if you're not part of the Buffalo City Church family, and you follow Jesus, this is for you. If you're not sure what that means, I'd love to talk to you, and I would ask you, I would implore you to just, uh, to just sit this one out. No one's looking at you, no one's judging you, nothing's going on here, other than a family who is remembering what Jesus has done for them. So let me pray for us, and then I would invite you to come up to the table as as the Spirit leads.